0: A uh, real funny thing happened to my wife last week on the way to work. She was over on Leonard Springs Road by the old lake, and she was coming around one of those corners, you know, those tight curves, and somebody ran her off the road almost in a ditch, so she grabs a wheel and gets back up on the road, you know, like you do. And she said as she went by, she noticed that it was two teenagers, young teenagers in a car. And so she hollered out, they had a window down, she said, hey, boys, watch what you're doing. And one of them yelled back at her, pig? And she couldn't believe it. I mean, who does he think he's talking to her like that? Now, if you guys knew my wife, she's very quiet, very unassuming, but she was ticked off, you know, that these kids would talk to her like that. So she decided to yell back a little Christian constructive wisdom to them. So she hollered back out her window, you're the pig. And she said she went around the next corner, and sure enough, there was a great big sow in the middle of the road. They were just trying to warn her there was a pig out there. <laughs> well, that didn't happen for sure, okay? But things like that do happen all the time. And when they happen, clarity is, is good. Clarity is always a good thing. And I was thinking about that as I get started this morning, just in case any of you are wondering uh, about me. I mean, who does he think he is? What's he doing up here? And where's John? Uh, We're holding John hostage back there so I could preach this morning. But uh, I wanted to clear that up. I'm Jim Kane, I'm from South Union. And uh, we are huge Sherwood Oaks fans. Have been for years. And I'll tell you why. 27 and a half years ago, I took that little church out there. I had 14 people in it. And your minister, Tom, treated me like an equal right out of the chute. I mean, this mega church minister came across to this country, hick preacher, and treated me like one of the boys. We uh, golfed together. We went to movies together. He got me in the preaching group, and I have not and will never forget that. Yeah, I'll always be in his corner. I'm also a huge Roger Clark fan. I thank a lot of Tim Thompson. I love Steve Edwards. I'm pretty fond of one of your women on staff over there, Claudia Mitchell, who is my much, 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 much older sister And then uh, John Robertson and I, we've been praying together for years. In fact, when the idea of Sherwood Oaks West was still in its beginning stages, I was praying for you all, and I haven't stopped praying for you all. In fact, I told John, if you do that, I'll take a turn in the pulpit. He did, and so here I am. But I'll tell you the main reason we're here today, and I say we, because the praise team, some of our praise team came with us this morning, and we're honored to be here. I mean, we really are. Uh, One of the reasons we're here is because we heard you all wanted to step up your prayer enhancement here at this place. That excites us. We're all about prayer of South Union. We're trying to learn that. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why. I went with Roger Clark and several area ministers about 10 years ago to Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York. You ever been there? That's a house of prayer there. Led by a house of prayer man man of God, Jim Cimbala. And I'll never forget some of the stuff he told us. He said, Jesus did not say my house will be called a house of preaching. He didn't say it will be called a house of children's programming or worship. He didn't say it would be a house of fellowship. Those are big, important things. He said, my house will be called a house of prayer. He said, gentlemen, if you preach the best sermon you've ever preached in your life, and you don't give them an opportunity to come to the altar and let the only person in the room, the Holy Spirit, do something with their hearts, shame on you. You just put on a show. If your worship team brings the house down with music, and you don't give those folks a chance to come to the altar and let the Holy Spirit work on their heart, shame on you you just had a performance. Well, that really got us. We got to thinking about that. At the time, we were running two services. We did three for a while, but first service had about 30 people, and it It was killing us. But even then, our services were like you all. You know how it is. You got to keep them structured. And we got to think of the Holy Spirit was going to show up in one of our services, He had to make an appointment, had a five-minute slot someplace. And so what we brought this morning to you is you... Uh, want to grow in uh, becoming a house of prayer is what we do at South Union. And we thought maybe some of it you can use and maybe not. We're excited about it. We've moved all of our, uh, our the main part of our worship and our communion time at the end of the service so that on any, in, uh, any uh, given Sunday, our family has 20, 25 minutes sometimes to work with the Holy Spirit, and so, if you've heard something during the sermon or during worship or something's gone on in your life, then the only person who can do anything about it, you'll have plenty of time to do that. And so, that's what we do at South Union. We're going to do that with you all this morning. We've also made it very clear at South Union that the altar is open at any time. And people can come up while I'm preaching, while we're doing announcements, anytime during song service. It's open now, too. You guys got brand new pillows. Nobody's even been on them. So come up anytime you want to. But we're going to have some special time at the end of the service uh, to let the Holy Spirit work on us. Now, we got a long way to go uh, working on this prayer. We, We feel like children, which I think is okay, being childlike. Jesus likes that. In fact, he said, if you want to come to his kingdom, you have to come as a child. And so I want to talk to you about that. Because I wanted to preach a little instead of just telling you why it's here. So Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 15 is our text this morning. And I'm going to read that to you and then we'll talk about it and then we'll get to the altar. People were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and he said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will not enter it. Remember that passage? It's pretty cool. When you think about it, uh, the Christian life's really a paradox anyway. Uh, we die to live. We give to receive. We lose our life to gain life. We humble ourselves so we can be exalted. We surrender to win. We're willing to be last so we can be first. And in this text, Jesus said, if you want to grow up, not only in your prayer life, but if you want to grow up at all in Christ, you've got to become like a little child first. So I want to tell you three things this morning, because that's what preachers do. We always do threes, and because that's what I learned from Bob Russell about 20 years ago uh, concerning this, concerning growing up like children, and then we'll spend some time at the altar. Number one, we should have a childlike purity about us. I mean, kids, man, they are so innocent when it comes to evil and nasty and stuff. I mean, the kids running around at South Union, and I've already seen some of yours, they don't know anything about lying or hatred or murder they don't care about same-sex marriage and all this stuff we're fighting over. They're just running around having a good time. They're so innocent. Man, it's just good to see that. Now, it doesn't last very long because then the sin nature we inherit from Adam comes along and changes things. But in the beginning, kids, the purity of the innocence is so cool. I always love the story, Alice uh, Smith, she's about four and a half, and her little brother's two. And they like to kind of mosey on over in Mrs. Wilson's yard their next door neighbor because she's got a little tea set she keeps outside and they go over there as Mr. and Mrs. Smith and they have tea with Mrs. Wilson so she had them over one morning and they were having tea and they were sitting around eating those little sugar wafers and she said I'm just so glad the Smiths are here today Mrs. Wilson said and she said would you all like another glass of tea and, and little Alice said no I'm afraid we must go it appears my husband has messed his pants <laughs> I mean, kids, man, they're just so much fun to watch, and it's so innocent. Jesus says, hey, as adult Christians, that's the kind of purity I want you to have in your lives. Now, look, as I stand up here and look out here, you guys look a lot like South Union people. There's no innocence in here. None of us are pure. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the huge promise of God, and the reason I preach is that we can all become innocent and pure again through the cleansing blood of Jesus. The Bible says, though your sins be like scarlet, they'll be white as snow, Isaiah one eighteen. Once you and I accept Jesus Christ and are born again through the water and the blood, when God looks at us, He actually sees us as little children. It's amazing. Everything becomes new. But here's the thing. After we do that, after we become Christian and receive this clean slate, we ought to be working real hard with the Holy Spirit constantly to keep this childlike purity when it comes to sin. Paul says in Romans 16, 19, I want you to be wise about what's good and innocent about what's evil. In other words, keep your distance from evil. Don't see how close you can get to sin without actually doing it. You know how we play that game sometimes? My grandma used to say, if you don't intend to go in the house, stay off the porch, you know. Don't, don't see how close you can get. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2:22 says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call upon the Lord with a pure heart. So, if you and I want to have this innocence, this purity of a, of a young child, we really got to work on this sin issue. And man, there's a lot of opportunity for sin in our society nowadays. And, and we shouldn't see how close we could get without doing it. That's crazy. I'll tell you something else crazy that we do uh, sometimes, and it's really a temptation for our young people, and that is to act worldly so people will like us. Because the world, man, they're barraging our kids today. They, they say things like, seriously, you've never been drunk? are you kidding me? You haven't had sex yet? You've never smoked marijuana. You've never been to a casino. You've got to be kidding me. You've never seen a pornography movie? And so sometimes there's this temptation for us as Christians to practice reverse hypocrisy so the people we work with and hang around with will really like us because they're worldly. Now, a hypocrite is normally thought of somebody who pretends to be better than they really are, and for some crazy reason, sometimes we do just the opposite. We act worse than we are so people will like us. And again, it's really hard on our kids today. And so we laugh at the dirty joke even though we know it's inappropriate. We dress a little sleazy even though we're not sleazy. We walk around to party with our ginger ale and a swizzle stick so people would think we're drinking even though we don't drink. Why do we do that? Ephesians 4 says, encourages us to live as children of the light. In fact, Paul says, have nothing to do with foolish deeds of darkness. Verse 22 says, you were taught in regards to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new to the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You're not supposed to live innocent, pure lives. Uh, I know you've all been talking about what keeps you up at night. Man, you get this going, you won't stay up at night with those guilty, nasty feelings. You'll be able to sleep well. We're supposed to live distinctive life, Christians. It's hard to do in this society. And, and we need to get away from this notion that we can sow some wild oats now while we're young and then come back later. You know, why I'm in junior high or high school, maybe in college, I can sow a few wild oats and come back. Some people call that attitude, sowing wild oats and then praying for a crop failure. Some of us in here need to remind some of you all, some of us experienced it the hard way, you really do reap what you sow. Sometimes right now, but always later. And it's sad how many kids we're learning right now, Uh, between the ages of 15 and 25 who never come back to church. It's terrible. The statistics are crazy. We need to be distinctive. In his book, God's Outrageous Claims, Lee Strobel tells the story of Regina Green, pretty and talented and intelligent, actually reached the finals of the National Junior Miss Pageant. This gal got commercial television contracts. She was in Glamour and People magazine. She got a scholarship, full ride in chemistry. I mean, she was on the top of her game. And she said it was her strong moral values that kept her from falling into Hollywood's fast lane of sex and drugs. She hung on. She was determined to stay pure for the Lord. Well, somewhere along the line, Legina fell in love with a race car driver. And, and I don't think uh, Lee trouble said who. It doesn't matter. He took her to New York City for the weekend. He whined her. He dined her, said he wanted to marry her. And uh, as strong as she had been, as determined as she had been to stay pure, she let her guard down one weekend. She had her first sexual encounter, and that's where she got AIDS. Unbelievable. One goof, one mistake. She said, I wish uh, I could go back and change the weekend. Of course, she can't. She's reaping what she sowed. Now, did God forgive her? Absolutely. He asked her, she asked him, and he did. But she still has AIDS, and now she travels the country warning young people about the danger of straying from God's plan. You, You and I need to be intentional about helping our children stay pure. I mean, they're being barraged. I don't know if I could have made it if I was a young kid today. We need to help them, teach them to be strong and stay pure in the Lord. And we need to do that by example. And we need to tell them that even if you do escape disease, even if you don't get caught drunk driving, even if you do avoid a lifelong addiction, even if you do come back to the church at some point, sin always leaves a scar. It always destroys your witness a little bit. It always takes you farther than you want to go and keeps you longer than you want to stay. That's why James chapter 1 verse 27 says, This is religion that our God and Father accepts as pure. Visit widows and orphans in their distress and to keep yourself unstained by the world. Jesus says, I want you all to be like a child in your purity so you can grow up in me. Now another quality we need, the second one, is we need to have a childlike wonder in our lives. Uh, I have seven grandkids, number eight on the way. And i got a lot to learn in that department, too, but I can tell you a few things about grandkids. They're expensive. uh, They're a lot of fun. They take up a lot of time and energy. And one of the most fascinating things to me about my grandkids is how fascinated they are by simple things, little things. I mean, we spent one day, a couple of weeks ago, two and a half hours we spent looking for worms under rocks. I mean, they were mesmerized by that. One, one evening last winter, it was too cold to do anything outside, so we got to Play-Doh out. Three and a half hours we played with Play-Doh. I mean, I had a blast. I know they did. They you know, can look at clouds and just a simple game. They can keep them going. The wonder of a child, it's amazing. Somebody wrote, I am hereby tendering my resignation as an adult. I've decided I'd like to accept the responsibility of an eight-year-old again. I want to go to McDonald's and think it's a four-star restaurant. I want to sail sticks across a fresh mud puddle and think M&Ms are better than money because you can eat them. I want to lie under a big oak tree and run a lemonade stand with my friends on a hot summer day. I want to return to a time when life was simple. I want to think the world is fair again, that everyone is honest and good. I want to believe that anything is possible. I want to be oblivious to the complexities of life and be overly excited about the little things again. I want to believe in the power of smiles and hugs and a kind word. I want to make angels in the snow. So here's my checkbook, my credit card, my car keys, and my 401k statements. I'm officially resigning from adulthood. And if you want to discuss this further, you have to catch me first, because tag, you're it. Some of us, man, some of you look tired. Some of us need some of that wonder back. You know, life has a way of stripping that from us. Get a little older, things become commonplace. I mean, how many birds can you see and still be amazed? Things become normal. And then you throw into that disappointments, cancers, death, conflict. And and if we're not careful, we move from wonder like a child right into indifference. And it's just a short difference from indifference to cynicism. And you become people who not only don't have any fun yourself, you get upset when anybody else is having a good time. Not the Christian walk is a lot more than just wonder and excitement, and we can't go around on our official high singing kumbaya all the time. I do know that we deal with death, and we deal with cancer, and we deal with evil things. But family, listen to me. If you never get goosebumps anymore, if you never have the hair on the back of your neck stand up in church service anymore, if you're never driven to tears anymore, then the Christian life will become dull and artificial. If you can never stand and say, Lord, I'm standing here in wide-eyed wonder of who you are, things will get dull for you. Mark chapter 9, verse 15, the Bible says, as soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they granted a meeting. I wonder, when was the last time you were overwhelmed with the wonder of Jesus Christ? When was the last time, I sit up front at our church too, but when was the last time when you were singing a song here about bowing before Him that you got down on your knees and you didn't care what anybody thought? I told my family years ago, I don't want to embarrass you. This is not for a show, but we sing a song about bowing our knees. I'm probably going to get down on my knees. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you raised your hands and just said amen to the Lord? You know, our God is an awesome God, And he reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God's an awesome God. And we ought to sing about that once in a while. Let's not lose that zeal and that wonder. You know, we, uh, we only have seven full-time staff over at South Union, so we take a turn. Uh, each staff member gets a month where they have to close up on Sunday morning, lock the doors, and get that all done. And July was my month, and so I, I think it was the second week of July, one of the Sundays. Everybody was gone, and I was going around locking up and make sure the coffee pots were off and all that business. So I was up on the second floor, and we got a big window that looks out over the auditorium, and uh, I just was overwhelmed with how amazing our God is. I I was just forced on my knees and thinking about from 14 to where we are and to watch God do that despite me and despite everybody else. And, you know, we, we used to pray for 35 people on Sunday morning. We've had 36 baptisms already this year. And to watch him transform people's lives, to see Craig Jackson come in there and get healed up and plant a church in Arkansas, to see John Mitchell come in and get healed up and get back in the ministry, to see Jim Cain come in and get healed up and stay in the ministry, and to see some of the families that have grown and matured. It's just been amazing to watch that, uh, to see the transformation of the Holy Spirit. This place is blessed. Already I see what's going on in here. Already you can feel the Holy Spirit here. Don't take that for granted. Let's never lose the wonder. A childlike purity, a childlike wonder, and this one's just about three minutes, and then we're going to pray, okay? We need to display a childlike faith. You know, kids just find it easy to believe God. They just trust Him innocently. Uh, David Heller did his doctrinal thesis on children and religion, and he collected a number of letters that kids wrote to God. Listen to some of these. One kid wrote, "Uh, Dear God, my grandma just died. Would you please take care of her? P.S. Her name is Grandma. (laughs) Here's one of my favorites. Dear God, my dad thinks he's you. Would you straighten him out? Boy named Eugene wrote, dear God, I I didn't think orange went with purple until I saw the sunset you made on Tuesday. It was cool. Dear God, I learned in school this week that you can make butterflies out of caterpillars. I think that's cool. What can you do for my sister? She is so ugly. (laughs) And little Elliot wrote, dear God, I think about you sometimes even when I'm not praying. Isn't that amazing? I mean, kids, man, God is so real to them. They just trust him. They don't doubt him. They don't doubt his word. You can tell kids the stories. They're probably telling them right now. The stories of uh, Daniel in the lion's den and and Moses' partner, Red Sea and Jesus walking on the water. They don't debate that. They don't argue that. They just accept that. They say, wow, that's amazing. But something happens to us along the way, and we become skeptical of anything that we don't experience. I think we think we grow up and get smart. And in the words of Jesus, we become foolish and slow of heart to believe all that was written. We start saying things like, how can I be sure that all things work to good to those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose didn't work out so well for the Jones family? How can I be sure that God will meet all my needs according to His riches and glory didn't work out so well for the Smiths? How can I be sure the Word of God is true and real? Brilliant people are sure laughing about it nowadays. How can I be sure there is a heaven after we die? Maybe it's just a myth, but Jesus says to us, to be pleasing to God, I want you to have a childlike faith. Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I love the banner that reads, Faith is going to the edge of all the light you have and then taking one more step. And family, God's given us a lot of light. We have a lot of evidence. We have creation, the miracle of the birth of a baby, the mystery of the seed, the conviction of conscience, the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ, the lasting power of the church, answered prayer, fulfilled prophecy, transformed lives, the durability of the Bible. And all those things are evidence, but they're not proof. There comes a time where you and I have to take all the evidence, which is a lot, and take one more step. And because of all this evidence, it's not even a huge step. It's a baby step. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Tony Campalo says, you know why I believe the Bible? I believe the Bible because I choose to. In family, you and I can spend our whole life trying to prove or disprove the Bible. We're never going to be able to do that. At some point, we got to come like a little child. That's what we're going to do this morning. We've got communion set up here. This is what we do at South Union. We have a couple tables up front. There's one in the back. You can come up uh, in the next few minutes and take your communion, bring it to the altar, take it back to your seat. I'm sure there's some people walking around if you can't get up. There's some prayer people here. There's some here There'll be some in the prayer room, if you like to pray with them, if you like to pray for yourself. We're going to have time to do this this morning. I I was about seven years old, and Candy and Claudia and I were in the house playing, and I I don't know what we were playing, but we were having a blast. It was one of those times where we were just hysterical, you know, and just didn't want it to quit. And then somebody got mad, and it was probably Candy, because Claudia and I were kind of like Mary Poppins when we were kids, practically perfect in every way, but Candy was mad. So we had a big fight, and my mom kicked us out. She said, get out. You're not going to fight. It's a beautiful day outside. Get outside anyway. Uh, Now, she made us go out, and Claudia had to stay in and clean up. My mom was so mean to us. But anyway, I'm starting out of the house, and my shoestring got caught in the door, and I fell, and uh, I hit the garage ledge, and I cut my head two places, ten stitches here, two stitches here, and I knocked out my two front teeth. By the way, any young guys in here? You knock out your two front teeth, and you become right now a chick magnet. I'm not kidding, man. Denise Cooper, prettiest girl in school, would not have anything to do with me. I knocked out my two front teeth, couldn't keep her off of me. It was amazing. But anyway, I'm banging on the door trying to get back in the house, and my mom says, lock the door. They're not coming in here until they're done fighting. My mom was so mean to me. But anyway, Claudia finally, she got feeling sorry for me, so she opened up the door, and there I'm standing, blood all over me. It was a terrible day for a 7 year old My dad, though, he took care of me. you will meet my dad someday. Super Christian and didn't know it. So cool. Anyway, he took me to the doctor, Dr. Warbitten, and he held my hand while they stitched me. And, uh, you know, they put the numbing shot in there. I'm scared to death. And my dad just said, hey, it's all right. That's all he said. Jimmy, it's all right. Those two words, all my fear is gone. Because when my dad said it, man, he meant it. I laid right there. They put in the stitches. Gave me a penicillin shot. Uh, gave me a prescription for five penny pretzels and a Coke. We went next door and got that. Went home and I crawled up in my dad's lap and watched Half Gun Will Travel. It's a good day. This is your turn. Some of you need to just come up here today and tell him what's broken. Let him hold your hand and fix it. Listen, man, I love to preach. I've been preaching 35 years. But I've done all I can do. There's only one person in this building that can do anything to help you out this morning. And it's the Holy Spirit, and he's in the building. Can you feel him? He's here. Some of you just need to come and get that. Some of you need to go to the doctor. Some of you need to make an appointment, see a counselor. Come up this morning and ask the Holy Spirit, where, when, who? Some of you just need to curl up in his lap, let him love on you. Some of you had a good week this week. Some of you had a bad week. And you need the Father. Father. If you'd like to talk about becoming a Christian, I'll be sitting right here. The rest of you, this is your communion, worship, and altar time. Enjoy. Will you pray with me, please?